Good morning, everyone. It's good to see everybody here today. We've got an old couple visiting with us, Gary and Heidi sitting here. They're visiting with us. They came in from where? where Georgia? Where are you living now? Where? Okay. Oh, you came back. Okay. I thought you were further away than that. Well, it's good to have you here this morning. Uh, like Ronnie says, slowly but surely, we're filling back up, you know, coming back. So we still have some missing. If you talk to any of them, encourage them to come on back, okay, that it's safe and you can come back. Just wear your masks and uh, take the precautions, but come on back and be with us. I want to begin, um, if for those of you that may not understand or know this or maybe uh, listening uh, online to this, we're in the middle of a series on grace. This has been going on for about six or seven weeks now. And some of this was on uh, YouTube. We taped it even while we were not meeting, so if you miss any of these, you can go back and get them. And uh, I just want to say here at the beginning that whenever you talk on the subject matter, it can be confusing. Um, there are a lot of questions that are raised. I told you there would be as we started this. A lot of things that we're trying to put together in our minds as far as pieces to the puzzle. I want to encourage you to keep searching, to keep thinking, to keep praying. And um, I hope that by the time we're done with this, that it will make better sense to you. But uh, if you have any questions, please feel free to call me with those questions. I'll be more than happy to sit down with you and help explain some of the things that we're talking about here that maybe you may not understand or have, are having trouble putting together. I want to begin today with a verse. I want to ask you to look at this with me, and I'm going to ask you a question about it. It's a verse that you've all heard before, Ephesians 5.18. It says this, Do not get drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Now, explain that verse. Think about it. What do you think that verse is saying? And why in the world is he talking about wine and the Spirit all in the same verse? That just seems odd. Well, when you look at it, you begin to understand that he's talking about basically um, being controlled by something. Whereas he's saying don't be controlled by wine or being filled with it and being controlled by it, but allow yourself to be filled with or controlled by the Holy Spirit. Now, it's, it's a term that we use, we say it ourselves, when you are filled with something, you're being controlled by it. For example, we'll say you're, being, you're right now, you're filled with anger. Well, basically what you're saying is that you're being controlled by it. You're allowing it to control you. To say the same thing about envy, you're filled with envy, you're filled with joy, basically just means the same thing, that you're being controlled by that. You're allowing it to control your actions and your thoughts. And so in this verse, he's simply saying to you and me, we need to be filled with or controlled by the Holy Spirit. Now, this term filled is a little confusing. Because it implies, at least, that there's more of the Spirit to be had. You're only halfway full, so you need to be filled up all the way. But that's not really true. That's a bit confusing. You've got all of the Holy Spirit that you're ever going to get. As a believer, the Bible tells us that you've been baptized in the Spirit. You've been um, immersed in the Spirit. The Spirit has done His work. Paul tells us in Ephesians that the Spirit indwells you and his, the uh, seal of approval that God has placed on you. So you're going to, you, there's no more of the Holy Spirit to get. The question then becomes this now. How much more of you will you give to the Spirit? See, there's the question. There's the rub. Because God says the Spirit is there. 
in all of his power and all of his glory. You and I may not always understand that. We may, may not always feel his presence, but we take it by faith that he is because the Bible tells us. And so the question then is, does he have all of me? And that's really what the Christian life is all about. It's about you and me giving ourselves over to and allowing ourselves to be controlled by the spirit that lives inside of us. And this is where you get into that area of the Christian life. Sometimes people back up on this and they raise their eyebrows and they think, well, wait a minute, that sounds a bit Pentecostal. Well, it has to do with Pentecost, but, you know, the doctrine is basically straight out of the Bible. And that the Spirit of God lives in you, the Spirit of God is there, was there the moment you believed. And the Spirit of God never leaves, He never changes, He's always there, and He's seeking to control and empower you. And so what we're being asked to do now with this, this idea of being filled with the Spirit, is that God is saying now, allow yourself to be controlled by that. Allow the Spirit of God to do His work, because the Spirit of God will lead you into righteousness. And so this is where we're going with this today. Because we've got two different ways of looking at this, two different ways of approaching this. There's the grace and spirit way of approaching this, where we trust that this is true, we believe it, and we allow the Spirit of God to lead us, guide us, and empower us. Or we revert back to the law and rules and regulations to live by, thinking to ourselves and telling ourselves that in my flesh I can do this. I can, I can live for God. I can, I can do what God wants, and I can please God. And all the time, God is saying, no, you really can't. You really can't. See, this is the part that we struggle with because we are not convinced of that. We think that we can. So I'm getting ahead of myself, but this is where we're going with this today. So many times, people interpret being filled with the Spirit this way. They'll say, and, I, and I've heard this my, my whole life, you know, from people that write books and, and preach on the radio and things. They'll say this. They'll say that if you are obeying the Scriptures and doing what you're supposed to do and not sinning, then you are being led by the Spirit. Not necessarily, because we think that we are being righteous and we can straighten up our lives and, you know, do some good things. But that does not necessarily dictate that we are walking according to the Spirit. Those two are different. Now watch what Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 18. Now watch this verse. Paul says this, But if you are led by the Spirit, then you're not under the law. Ooh. Now he makes a distinction. He says there's two different things going on here. If you are being led by the Spirit and He's controlling you and leading you and guiding you and you are submitting to that, yielding to that, being led by that, then you're not under the law. Now that doesn't mean that somehow the law doesn't apply. Somehow all of a sudden adultery became okay or stealing became okay or murder became okay. No, He's just saying that you're not under that method of living. You're under a different way of living. And that's what it comes down to. There are two differing approaches to the Christian life. People who think that they can do it themselves 
and all they need is to suck it up, buttercup, and do the right thing and obey the law. And so just tell me what to do. Give me the rules and I'll obey them. And when I was in a church in Indiana, I had a guy come into my office who was wanting to join the church. He said, now that we, you know, we've talked about that, now just tell me this. What are the rules? And I said, well, what are you talking about? He said, well, every church has their rules. You know, the way you've got to dress, the way you've got to act, the things that you have to do. Just tell me what your church's rules are. You know, and it's amazing that you under, when you begin to understand that people have lived their whole lives as Christians, believers in Christ, feeling as though they are under a lot of rules and that the rules are there for them to walk the straight and narrow. And when they do that and abide by the rules, then they're okay with God. And God says, I've got a different way of doing it. A way in which you can have victory, which you can have success, where you are doing the things that I'm wanting you to do, and believe me, this is not a way of getting out of doing what God wants. It's a way of doing it and accomplishing it. And there's a way of doing it that you're not trying to get out of obedience, but that you're doing it successfully and fruitfully. And it's by walking in the Spirit and allowing the Spirit to control you instead of you trying to do it yourself. And see, this is it's so hard because it's almost as if the law and the rules are the the, uh, what do you call it, the, um, the fallback, the default mechanism, if you will, for Christians. We revert back to that. We always go back to the rules and the law in order to please God because that has been drilled in us from such an early age. And we've been taught that. And this is not a teaching against the commandments of God. It's telling you that what God wants is for us to obey the commandments, but this is the method of doing it. A whole different way of doing it. A whole different way of approaching it. Some people see um, legalism as a way of leading uh, a victorious Christian life. And according to the scripture, that is not the way. Now legalism is just the term, and I'm going to use it today, okay? It's a term that we use, it's a theological term, you're not going to find it in Scripture, but it's a term that is used to describe a person or a, a way of living where you are adding laws and rules and regulations to your life in order to make you holy and righteous. It's called legalism because it comes from the idea of law. So when I talk about legalism, I'm talking about a person who thinks and is trying to live for God by obeying all the commandments they can, and even more than that, these are rules and regulations either they or somebody else or maybe a church has put forth that if you do these things, then you'll be acceptable to God and that you'll have a victorious Christian life. And see, we revert back to that. That's our default setting. It's easy to go back to that because just tell me the rules, just tell me what I need to do, and I will do it because I'm committed and God says, I know you're committed, but the fact is you can't do it that way. You know, we've talked about this in the weeks prior to this when we were looking at the law and the reason it was given and so forth in the beginning was because God gave it to us. He tells us right there in Galatians, Paul said, to show you that you can't do it. The law was given to set you up to fail so that you would be open and ready for grace. That's what Paul says in Galatians. 
the law was never given, and I'm talking about the commandments and everything that goes with them, all the rules we've added to it, that it was never given to make you righteous. It was given to show you your sinner. Yet we keep reverting back to that to make us righteous. Now here's the reasons why. Let me give you four reasons why legalism doesn't work. Trying to live your life according to rules and regulations won't work as opposed to being led by the Spirit. And I'll explain this later in the message. But Reasons why legalism doesn't work. Number one, legalism doesn't tell me what to do. It only tells me what not to do. How many rules do you know of that you've ever heard of where somebody has set up a rule to tell you what you should do? The vast majority, this goes, this is true of the commandments as well, thou shall not. And that's the way that it is. All that rules can do is tell you the things that are parameters. This is what you shouldn't do, this is where you shouldn't go, so forth and so on. But it doesn't tell you as a Christian how to live. And that's one of the weaknesses of trying to live by rules. Here's the second thing, that the reason why legalism doesn't work. Laws have to be continually added to cover every situation. Now, see, this was the problem the Jews had. Now, think back with me, okay? Because whenever Jesus came out against or began to teach or anything about grace and came out and they thought he was preaching against the law, which he was, they got on him. And they, here's the question they asked him several times. Why do you teach against our traditions? Now, what they meant was this. They took the commandments of God, let's say the the Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. And that was given in the Old Testament as a law that God wanted Israel to adhere to for all the reasons we're not going to go into. Well, they looked at that and they thought, well, we need to explain to people what that means. And so they began to add rules or traditions to that that were slowly over time elevated to the same importance as the Scripture. Rules like you could only walk a certain number of steps on the Sabbath. That you could only kindle a fire or you couldn't kindle a fire on the Sabbath. You had to cook all your stuff the, the, the day before. You couldn't, uh, if, you're, if your ox fell in a ditch, you couldn't get him out on the Sabbath. That was, that was work. I mean, they went on down the line and gave rule after rule after rule. A lot of the times when Jesus preached, Jesus was preaching against their rules, legalism. And it just, it just sent them into a tailspin. Because to them, you as claiming to be God are teaching sin. And guys, let me tell you something. You go into a church today that has their own rules and their own regulations and you try to break one, you're going to be labeled as a sinner because they have elevated those rules to the same weight as Scripture. And they all have them. They all have them. Now, let me clarify something, okay? There is nothing wrong with having rules and regulations as long as you understand that they're ours to put forth. And we do it for whatever reasons we choose to do it. They're not, thus saith the Lord, it's just our preference. 
and it doesn't carry the same weight as Scripture. They're just rules for the church, how we may dictate uh, things that we're going to do. So it's not that rules and regulations are bad. It's just that when we choose to live our lives that way, under that guideline, trying to adhere to that, to honor God, we're going to fail. That's what he's saying, basically. But here's number three. Legalism doesn't deal with thoughts. It only deals with actions. You don't deal with thoughts. Show me in the commandments where it talks about what you think. See, this is what Jesus attacked the Pharisees for. You guys say don't commit adultery, but I'm telling you that if you look on a woman to lust, you've already committed adultery with her in your heart. Wait a minute. This is what Moses said, and now you come along and you elevate it to a standard that we can't adhere to. And Jesus said, yeah, now you're getting it. You've been told by the commandments that you shouldn't kill. But I'm telling you that if you hate somebody, you've already killed them in your heart. Whoa. You see, now, as a Christian, you can live by the law and legalism and rules and regulations, and that will always govern your actions. But it will have nothing to do with what you think and feel. The Spirit, on the other hand, does. The Spirit can help you in your thoughts and in your feelings and in your emotions. I'm going to show you that in a minute. But law alone will not do that for you. Here's the fourth reason why legalism doesn't work. And that is this. That laws result in false guilt. Living by laws always results in false guilt. In other words, you feel like you're guilty, but you're really not. Now think about this. If, if the, the Jews took a commandment of God and then they added to it their own little rules and regulations and somebody's living under that way of life and they happen to break one of those rules or regulations, have they sinned? Well, no. But they sure feel like it. Let me give you an illustration. Now I've told you this before, but... I'll tell you again because, well, it's just a good illustration, okay? So when I lived up in Indiana, I loved to deer hunt. And I deer hunted until I got that big mouth that I got in my office wall, and then I just quit. But anyway, I met a guy when I first moved up there. His name was Don. And Don and I used to deer hunt on his property. He said, Pastor, come out here. We'll go deer hunting. So we went deer hunting. We had a great time. Well, there was one particular Sunday that we weren't going to have Sunday night services that week. And I said to Don, it was on Saturday now, we've been deer hunting. I said, let's hunt tomorrow evening too. He said, well, whoa. He said, no. He said, no, I don't hunt on Sunday. I said, oh, okay. I said, well, why not? He said, because, you know, it tells you in the Bible, you know, honor the Sabbath and keep it holy and... I've heard preached all my life, my, my mom and daddy told me, and the pastor that we had before you told us that we need to keep the Sabbath holy, and one of the things that we shouldn't be doing is deer hunting on Sunday. So I just have made a commitment. I don't deer hunt on Sunday. I said, okay, I, hey, I can appreciate that. I said, do you mind if I do? He said, now wait a minute. He said, if it's a sin for me to hunt on Sunday, then why isn't it a sin for you to hunt on Sunday? I said, I don't know. That's something you're going to have to decide. 
he looked at me and he said, I said, let me ask you something. I said, first of all, if you talk about honoring the Lord and keeping the Sabbath holy, you got the wrong day to start with. We hunted on the Sabbath just now. Originally, the Sabbath is Saturday. Sunday was the first day of the week when the church met. I said, so technically you're wrong right off the bat. <clears throat> I said, but where in the Bible does it say you shouldn't deer hunt on Sunday? Well, it doesn't, but it's just, it's just a, a, a thing that you set up in order to interpret, you know, the, the, the commandment. I said, there's your problem. You're trying to interpret God's commandments for everybody. I said, now, you can do it for yourself. If you feel like it's a sin to hunt on Sunday, then by all means, don't hunt. But I don't have such compulsion, so let me hunt. He said, well, okay, well, I guess I can't stop you. You go ahead. All right, so the next evening, I go out to go deer hunting. I climb up under my deer stand, and I'm sitting there, and it's getting, you know, dusk, and I notice this figure, and it's Don climbing up in his deer stand. So it, we, we hunt, and then we meet back at his shop where we usually tuck off those heavy clothes and unload our guns and things. I said, well, tell me something. Why did you come out to go deer hunting? He said, well, I thought about this. He said, and I finally concluded that if God asks me why I was hunting on Sunday, I'm going to say the preacher said it was okay. <laughs> now, as time went on and as our friendship grew, Don began to realize some of the things that he'd always believed and the fallacy of it. And finally one day he said to me, we, were, we discussed things at length after we deer hunt. He had to ask me some theological questions. We'd talk about it. And I'll never forget this. He looked at me and he said to me, he said, Dave, he said, you're about the freest person I've ever known. And what he meant was this. He said, I've been encumbered by all these rules and regulations all my life. He said, and here you come telling me that I didn't have to be. And he, he changed. Over time, he began to see things differently. You know, to live in the Spirit and allowing the Spirit to guide your decisions. And let me, let me just say in relation to that, if Don had said to me, Dave, I know that it's not a sin to do it, but for me, I made a commitment, and I feel like the Spirit is just telling me I shouldn't do it. I could fully respect that. And that's not a problem. And what you're going to find when we talk about the Spirit leading us all individually and differently at times, that for some of you, things you're going to feel in your heart, you, you know that it's, it's not sinful, but you know in your heart you shouldn't do it, then don't do it. And we'll talk about that later. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But for us to make blanket statements that if it's wrong for me to deer hunt on Sunday, then it's wrong for everybody, you've gone overboard. You've gone too far. And that's what legalism does, you see. And so we're talking about an individual relationship and guidance as the Spirit of God deals with us individually. And as the Spirit of God dictates. Now, let me give you another illustration of what I mean by that. You take... All right, let's say to go into Applebee's and the tables are all taken, but they say we've got room in the bar if you want to take one of those tight tabletops in the bar. I don't have a problem with that at all. I can go in there and sit down. I belly up to the bar and say, give me a hamburger. You know, it doesn't bother me. It may bother others, and that's okay. Now, here's, here's what you need to understand. For other people to say, I don't want to go in there because it might give people the wrong impression that I'm drinking. I, I can appreciate that. And by all means, you should not do it. 
But if the Spirit of God has dealt with you in that fashion, then be obedient to that. If he hasn't, then understand you have the liberty or freedom to do it because it doesn't say in the Bible, it's sin. There are guidelines, you know, appearances of evil. Maybe that's a, a, a something that you could, you know, go with that. But it's individual. You see, I don't want children, teenagers, to call or parents to call me up saying, my kid said that they didn't have to obey my rules because Pastor Dave said you shouldn't have rules. I didn't say that. Every parent, as the Spirit of God dictates, makes the rules and regulations for their family. That's wisdom. And that's, they understand. You know what? I don't care what Johnny and Sally's parents do. In our family, we're going to do this as I feel led of God to do. Perfect. Perfect. And so children, obey your parents and don't be getting me in trouble. Okay? So you begin to understand that this, this is a way in which you and I are being led of the Spirit of God individually because of, listen to me, listen to what I'm about to say. I believe with all my heart that every Christian wants to honor God. I believe that they do. They may not know how and they may have failed and they may be frustrated, but in the depths of their heart, they want to honor God. They really do. But now here's the thing I'm, I'm challenging with is this. Just make sure that it's God that you're listening to and not somebody else's opinions about what you ought to be doing. See, there's where legalism gets, in, gets us into trouble and we need to be walking and listening to the Spirit of God. And, and that's, that's really what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a new way of living. Now, I want to do this. I want to take you through some scriptures, then we're going to wrap it up, okay? I'm going to give you some practical steps on how to do this. How do you walk in the Spirit? There is, it's like trying to, you know, put your finger on a piece of mercury. It keeps squirting out because there could be any number of, of answers to that question. But I'm going to try to give you some things that will help you. But let me take you through some scriptures real quick, all right? I want to take you to one we've looked at previously in this series and go back to it now. It's in Romans chapter 7. In verses 5 and 6. Now, I want, to wa- I want you to let me take you through this and watch, okay? Paul says, For when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us so that we bore fruit for death. Now, let's just stop there, okay? He says, When we were in the realm of the flesh. Now, I've told you before, he could be talking about before you were saved. I think in the context, he's talking about us as Christians. He says, when we were in the realm of the flesh, trying to do it ourselves, trying to adhere to the rules and do it ourselves, he said what happened was that the sinful passions aroused by the law defeated us. What does that mean? Well, you know as well as I do, that as soon as you tell somebody, don't do something, that's the very thing they want to do. And the law, this is one of the weaknesses of it, The law, the commandments of God, the good and righteous holy commandments of God, when somebody is told, don't do that, it's the very thing you want to do. And this is what we're told in the New Testament. He said, this is the weakness of the law. But God gave it anyway because God wanted you, in a sense, now follow me, God wanted you to fail. Because until you are proven that you cannot do it yourselves, you're not going to accept the grace. 
some of you as Christians are still in that stage. You've accepted the Lord, you know the Lord, you're on your way to heaven, but you still think that you can please God because you're special. That you can do it whereas nobody else could. You can. And God has got yet, he's yet to prove to you that you can't. And so the harder you try, the more you're going to fail. And then one day, you're going to look up to God and say, okay, Lord, I give up. I give up. Then you're ready to understand and to learn the way in which he has told us to do it. But he says here that the passions that were aroused by the law were at work in us so that we bore fruit to death. In other words, we were just defeated. Look at the next verse. But now, by dying to what once bound us, that's the law, we have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Ooh, guys, don't miss it, okay? He said there is a new way of serving God. It's through the Spirit. It's not in the old way of the written code, rules, regulations, and guidelines. The two are not competing against each other. In other words, you're going to see in a moment that the very commandments that God told us to obey are going to be fulfilled in us when we walk in the Spirit. But God says there's a way of doing it that you, you can't do this. So you've got to understand. You can't please God. God does it all through us. From the moment of a salvation, we, we had nothing to offer God. We bowed at the cross. We were saved by His grace. And then for some reason, we as Christians get the idea, now in our own strength, we're going to prove that we're special and we're going to serve God and honor Him. We fall on our faces all the time. We fail. And God says, get up and understand there's a whole different way of doing this. It's like Jesus said, you can't take the new wine and put it in old wineskins. It won't work. Why are you trying to do that? So he says here, he said there is a new way of doing this. The way in which the Spirit of God is going to lead you, the Spirit of God is going to empower you, the Spirit of God is going to make you successful, victorious. And that's the way I want it done, because God said in the end, I'm the one that gets the glory, not you. It's amazing to me how many of us want the glory. We all, in, in, in churches especially, there's this bickering back and forth about who's the most spiritual. You know, we, we pride ourselves on who's, who, who does this. Who comes to church every Sunday? We'll give them a star. Who memorizes all the verses, you know? Because we have set up the standard of achieving and competing against each other whereby we grade and judge each other as to who's really a good Christian and who isn't and God says you're all foolish because without me you can't do it you need to understand that let me move on I want to take you to Romans chapter 8 I want to look at a couple of verses here Romans chapter 8 1 now this is coming right after 7 he's in 8 now I'm skipping I know but just bear with me he says therefore there is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus now, I've used this verse on many occasions to give the gospel. And this is true, that when you put your faith in Christ, there is no condemnation anymore. 
that by faith you have come in, you are placed in Christ, and you will never stand before God to be judged as a sinner ever. There is no condemnation. But that truth, and in the context of this verse, is applying now to what comes after. He's talking about the Christian life. Now watch. Verse 1, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because... Through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. The law of the Spirit, the principle of the Holy Spirit living in you, has set you free from this method that you keep going back to of legalism that only offers you defeat and death. You can't do it. Now, what does it mean about the law of sin and death and the law of the Spirit? Well, he's just talking about a principle. Let me give you an illustration. If a skydiver gets up on a plane and he's ready to jump and he jumps out and he's blistering toward the earth at breakneck speed, it's exhilarating. You know, that's the whole goal of it. You're free falling. That's where he's, the reason they do it. While he is in the air plummeting to earth, what law is in effect? The law of gravity. Yeah, it's pulling him as fast as he can. Until he pulls the ripcord and the parachute billows out and all of a sudden it slows him down. Then what law is in effect? I'm thinking, I don't know. I've got maybe have Scott on this one. The law of aerodynamics, maybe, something like that. That somehow supersedes the law of gravity. It changes it. This is what he's talking about here. He says that the law of sin and death has been superseded are changed or altered by the law of the Spirit. And this is what he means by that. Look at verse 3. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering, and so He condemned sin in the flesh. He just said, enough. Enough. No more. I'm going to provide a way for victory. The next verse, it says in verse 4, in order that, watch, this is good, okay? In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us, fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Holy cow, do you see what that's saying? All of the commandments... All of the righteous requirements of the law are fully met in you when you walk in the Spirit and stop trying to do it yourself. All God is saying is this. When you walk with me, I'll guide you. I'll direct you. I will motivate you. I will give you victory. And in that moment, you will be accomplishing more than what you could have accomplished over here trying to do it yourself in your own strength because you're too arrogant and proud to listen to me. Oh, man. We live by the Spirit. We don't live by the law. And when we do, we have victory. That's basically what he's saying. I want to jump to one other passage, and then we're going to move on and close up, okay? But just listen. You can't take Romans without looking at Galatians. Those two books go hand in hand. So anytime you study one, you have to study the other, okay? In Galatians chapter 5, 
in verses 16 through 18. Let me read this to you. Just follow along with me, okay? Paul said this, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now stop right there. What? You walk over here under the leadership of the Spirit, and you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. Well, how does that work? The Spirit of God is working inside. The law can only affect the outside. The law affects your actions. tells you what you do, but it doesn't change your heart. The Spirit of God working inside changes your motivation. It changes your desires. It changes your thoughts. That's where the victory comes from. Because God changes you from down deep inside. He doesn't just dress up the outside. See, this is where so many Christians are living. They're living a life that is a lie. They're all dressed up on the outside and they're still ugly on the inside. God is saying, look, don't you understand that I'll change you from the inside and it'll come out in the way you behave. But it all starts by the changing of the inside. The next verse, in verse 17, he says, For the flesh, that's over here, trying to do it myself, is what he's talking about. The flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit. In the Spirit, what is contrary to the flesh, they are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. In other words, he said, look, they're competing. And that old flesh keeps flaring up. And that pride intervenes, and you think you're so good, and you're so righteous, and God couldn't do without you. And he says, when you get that attitude, it just kills us over here. just stifles it. It quenches it. He said, in in effect, you're unable to do what it is you really want to do as a Christian. But then look at the last verse in verse 18. But if we are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. See, there's the two options. And you and I have to come to grips with this. There's two options as a Christian. I can continue to live like I think I should, my own strength, or I can just surrender. I can just admit I'm defeated. But I want to serve you, Lord, and I'm, I'm going to do it this way. I want to walk in the Spirit. I, w- I want your Spirit t- to overwhelm me and guide me and direct me. How do you do that? How do you do that? So let me give you. Some simple, practical things to do. Guys, these are my own thoughts, okay? So take them for what they're worth. Um, you may be thinking of something better than that. That'd be great. But um, these are just mine. So here's what I would tell you, practically speaking, to help you to walk in the Spirit every day. Number one, get up every day and claim your identity. Guys, you have got to come to grips with this. The Bible says that you are to walk by faith. This is what we talked about last week. It's more than just believing God's going to take care of you, but you have to by faith claim who you are because I'm telling you, your default mechanism will be to revert back to the law. By default, if you lose sight of this, you'll revert back to thinking you can do it. You have got to stand up every day and do it in the morning before you ever get started. And by faith you claim, this is what you said, Lord, is true about me. You said I'm your child. I believe that, Lord. 
I may not feel like it, but I believe it. You said that I am redeemed. I believe it, Lord. I may not understand it, but I believe it. You said I'm justified. That I'm declared righteous in your sight. I don't feel like it, but God, you said it and I'm claiming it. You said that I am sanctified, that I'm set apart, that I am holy and righteous. I'm special because you said it. I'm going to go out there today and I'm going to act like that person. I'm going to act like the way I want to do it and what I think. I'm going to act like the person you said I am. You're claiming your identity. Because the moment you lose sight of that and forget about it, the old flesh is going to creep back in. You're going to start living like you think everybody wants you to instead of listening to the Lord. And that brings us to number two. Second step, yield yourself to the Lord for that day. You yield yourself to the Lord for that day. Now take it one day at a time. Now here's the problem with Christians. Here's what we do. We think that this transformation takes place all at once and it's good forever. When the Bible tells us we need to do this every day. I'm not talking about salvation. That's forever. I'm talking about you walking in the Spirit every day. You've got to get up. You've got to start it over. You've got to surrender and say, Lord, this is a new day. And I surrender to you. I yield to you today. Lord, I want you to take over. I want you to lead me. I want you to guide me. I want you to change my heart. I want you to bring thoughts into my mind that I never thought about. I want you to give me sensitivity that I've never had before. Lord, I want whatever it is that the Spirit wants of me today. Because I am totally leaning on you because I can't do this. I'm tired of trying. My gosh, are you tired of trying yet, folks? I am. I'm tired of trying to please God. I finally had to come to the conclusion that only God could please God. I'm just the instrument. I'm a living sacrifice, and that's what I'm asking you to become every day. Say, Lord, I'm, I'm climbing up on the altar. What I want isn't important. It's God what you want. And I'm trusting you to lead me. That brings us to step number three, and that is this, that you expect the Holy Spirit to lead you. You expect it. Why don't you hear the voice of God every day? Why is it that we keep making the same dumb, foolish mistakes every day and we don't hear the voice of God? We keep telling ourselves, wait a minute, it must be working for everybody else, but it doesn't work for me because I don't hear the voice of God. You may tell you something, you are lying to yourself because God says in His Word that you have the Spirit and His Spirit bears witness with your Spirit and He speaks to you. You know the problem? We don't always like what he says. <laughs> we don't like it. Oh, wait a minute, Lord. Are you sure you said that? You wanted me to do what? You feel it in your heart. You know what it is. You know what the, the moving of the Spirit is. You know when those ideas and those thoughts, this feeling of if you don't do this, you're going to explode. You know what it's like. You've been there. And yet we have convinced ourselves, that's nothing. That just must be whatever, but that, that's not God. Well, yeah, 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 it probably is. So you've got to expect that the Lord is going to lead you because if you don't expect Him to, then you're not going to be looking for it. And there's where a lot of us fail. We just don't really look for it. Here's the fourth thing that I want to encourage you to do, and that is this, that when He prompts you, you that you obey. 
When the Spirit moves, don't question it. Don't say, you know, I, God, you must have the wrong person. Now let me give you illustrations of where, how the, this works in the course of a day. You'll be walking through the course of your day at work or school or whatever, and God is going to lay upon your heart, and you're going to have this idea and this pulling, this desire to go over there and put your arm around that person that is lonely and sad and just encourage them. Trust me when I tell you, it didn't come from you, okay? Because we're not that good. It came from the Lord. The Spirit is speaking, but it's up to you to do it. And here's where we fail, right here. We will make excuses. We'll say, but Lord, I can't do that. What will people think? You know, this is the old flesh battling. I can't do that, Lord. What will people think? And, and that person might not even know me or want me to do that. Guys, I can't tell you the times that I have done things that are just, to me, bizarre that I would not normally have done because I felt led to do it, and God has just, whoosh, just showed up. Don't question it. Just do it. And you know what? If you were wrong, <laughs> it's not that big a deal, okay? If you, you'll get used to listening. You'll get used to what the, the Spirit is saying. Here's another. Let me give you some examples. God says to you, go over there and share your testimony with this person. And there you go backpedaling. Oh, God, you must have the wrong person. I don't, I don't share my faith. Yeah, yeah, you are today. Go share your testimony. And you feel compelled to do it. And Lord knows you can't explain it. But it's just there. This overwhelming desire that if you don't do this, you're going to explode. Go do it. Just trust the Lord and go do it. And if you fail, it's okay. Because evidently God wanted you to plant a seed. There'll be times in life where God says, just get out of there. Where the Spirit of God just impresses upon you, there's, this is a dangerous situation, just flee. Then get out. Move. Don't wait. There'll be times when God says, just be quiet and don't say anything. Just listen. Let this person talk and don't you say a word. There'll be other times when God says, I want you to forgive. I want you to forgive this person because they need it. I want you... There'll be times when God says, what you did was wrong. You know that. You need to confess it. And you'll turn to God and say, Lord, I confess, I, I blew it. I'm not asking for forgiveness because I've lost my salvation or lost my position or lost my identity. That never changes. I'm saying to my Father, Lord, I confess, I blew it. And God says, let's go, keep going. All of these things that we do in the course of a day, the decisions that we make, the opportunities that pass us by, we're not even aware of because, you see, we, a lot of us are still living in the flesh. Whereas if we change and invite the Spirit to be a part of that day, we begin to see life differently. And that's when joy, and I mean, that's when things change. Because let me show you this one last verse, and then I'm going to close in prayer, okay? One last verse. Here's the result. This is the result of you doing this on a daily basis. Now watch. In Galatians 5, it says this in verses 22 through 23. But the fruit of the Spirit. Now, gosh, what does that mean? Well, the result of doing this is what results when you walk that way. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Now this is talking about emotional love, not commitment. It's saying 
This is what God does in you when you submit and walk with Him. God gives you love for people that are unlovable. You ever wonder how it is that some Christians can love people that don't deserve it? Because the Spirit of God melted their heart and He gave them love. The fruit of the Spirit is joy. The fruit of the Spirit is peace. My God, how many of you want joy and peace? You know, you look at this world and the things that we're going through and the things that we're experiencing, and you think, I just want a little joy in my life. I just want a little peace. Well, God says, I can give that to you over here. When you walk with me and let me lead you, the result of what the Spirit does in your heart is joy. You can't explain that. Peace, forbearance, which is patience, kindness, God creates kindness in you. you all of a sudden, you're, you're like a prickly old porcupine. All of a sudden, you become so kind and loving. Where does that come from? Only the Spirit of God. Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are just some. This is not all. He's not giving a laundry list here. This is just some of them. But then in the last verse, notice what he says. Against such things there is no law. And here's what he's saying. He's saying over here in legalism, there's no law or rule that can give you the things that the Spirit gives you. you, know, you there's no law that's going to give you joy, even if you obey it. There's no rule or regulations that will give you peace because you will always be wondering if you did enough. So, my friend, it comes down to this. Which way do you want to live life? Do you want to live life in the Spirit with those results? Or do you want to live life doing it yourself, trying to please God, because in your heart you're not convinced that He loves you? That's the basis of legalism right there. We're still trying because we cannot accept grace. And until you do, you'll always go back to legalism. Finally, will you just surrender and accept the grace of God? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we are humbled. Father, we are humbled by the reality that we, as much as we think of ourselves, we realize finally we can't please you. Not by ourselves. But Father, through the Spirit, we can through you taking ownership and possession of us on a daily basis. Father, we can live a life that is victorious. Father, we can accomplish things through the Spirit that we could never accomplish otherwise. Father, it is my prayer that not only for me, but for the rest of the people here today, that we would learn to walk with you. And Father, we would be sensitive to your leading. And that we would believe what you have said is true about us. Our identity. Lord, let us begin there and build. As we trust you more and more each day to take control of us, we let go of our own possession. We let go of our own control. And Father, we're trusting you. I believe with all my heart that you can be trusted to lead all of our lives.
Father, now convince us. Convince us all that that is true. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.